Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Catholic community. Welcome to the Happy Are You Poor podcast. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz, and today my guest is Peter Land from Philadelphia. Uh, good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon, Malcolm. I'm glad to have you back again. Uh, in our last podcast, we talked about the importance of community and what it is, especially its importance for evangelization. And today I'd like to talk a bit about where this project comes in as far as building community. Uh, we're not trying to start a community as such. Uh, we're trying to catalyze the development of community for others by providing a conversation and by providing resources and ideas on this website here. So some communities in the church and elsewhere are very scripted. They're very top-down. Some central organization provides an exact uh, blueprint for local communities. And I think that that can be dangerous because I believe that it's important for community to be organic, to be in a certain way unscripted and growing from uh, local characteristics, local particularities. What can go wrong if the community is not organic? What are some of the risks that could be run? Well, there can be an abuse of power, for sure. People can take advantage of others when it's not um, like a mutual organic effort or a, a organic flowering of something that people desire and agree upon. Um, I know when there's like a top-down approach to anything, one can feel like their voice is not being heard. And there, there could be a fear of um, raising concerns, raising questions about some of the decisions that are being made that are not involving other people, not involving everyone. And I think that's one of the dangers of it not being an organic development. An organic development would very much, I think, naturally include everybody's voice. Everybody would get a chance to, to share. There would be, I think, mutual respect. Um, there wouldn't be perhaps um, like laws laid down from a central power or just from a particular person. And I think out of that comes a sense of mutual investment, a mutual desire to be committed to something as opposed to um, a fear-based ment mentality that requires a person's um, submission in order to participate. One, one other reason that an organic community is essential is because a lot of community building attempts that start in a more scripted fashion are over ambitious. They commit to a lot, a lot of intentionality. And of course, we need a certain amount of intentionality. That's one of the tensions here between being organic, being intentional. But I'm thinking of a community that a friend was part of, and they all lived on the same property in three or four different buildings. There was two or three couples and some retired folks and a bunch of young people. And they had, uh, you know, community meals. They had community prayer times every day, a very intentional and intense experience. And it was good, but it was, it became impossible to stay the pace. They ended up after some of the people had to leave the community and things weren't going so well, they actually ended up scaling back the level of commitment that was required of each individual and the result actually was a lot better the community worked better when they ha didn't have quite such high expectations so when you have a group of people sitting down to found a community 
and by that very language, it's already not an organic attempt. The temptation will be to let one's idealism run away with, from one's practicality. One will end up um, creating the same kind of artificiality that we're actually trying to get away from in the world, the same kind of imposed uh, structures, even if one imposes them on oneself. Yeah, I remember spending time with a guy in uh, Washington, the state of Washington, who was seeking to establish a community of uh, lay Catholics, an intentional community of Catholics. And it struck me, he spent so much time in writing out the constitutions and the rule of the community. And yet he had no actual members. So he was spending hours upon hours poring over material from church documents and putting together something very beautiful, but at the same time, very ideal, very abstract, very much like a, um, a blueprint. But I, what I was finding is that he didn't really have authentic relationships with anyone who wanted to join this community. It was all kind of in the future. And it made me rethink what, how communities develop. A lot of religious communities, for example, they, they really developed organically around a central charismatic figure, like, I mean, just going back to the beginning with Jesus and his apostles. They, they followed him and they walked with him. Um, and in succeeding centuries, religious founders, they, they all didn't really set out to, to, to found a community. They simply um, were living a life that was attractive and that others were that others gravitated to. And it happened, I think, in the midst of friendship, people coming together and spending time together. And I think that's really a great way to look at an organic development of community that's founded on relationships and friendships and close ties, fidelity, loyalty to each other commitment, investment, all the elements that make up even just a family life, uh, a healthy family life, I think could be applied to community. And as people more intentionally walk together, they can, I think, agree upon things that they want to commit to. So I think it, it does, it's something that gradually happens and, but at, at the same time becomes more intentional over time. And there's, there's a tension, too, between being intentional. You know, if you start out with a bunch of rules like your friend, you won't, you might, I guess, eventually find some other Christians, some other, some other Catholics, depending on what you're trying to do, who are willing to follow the rules and become the community. But it certainly excludes anyone who happens to already be living in your geographic area your pre-existing surrounding community because they are almost certainly not going to be interested in following a bunch of rules. And if we see ourselves as evangelizing through the experience of community, there has to be a large place for just providential encounters with those around us. And so in one sense, what we're really talking about, any community project that's for the sake of evangelizing has to have two poles or two aspects with a continuum of people in between. One pole being the intentionality of trying to live out the gospel in friendship to support one another, and the other pole being people who are being reached out to. But every individual will fall somewhere along that continuum. Probably most people will not end up strictly at one pole or the other pole. And I've often thought that in a really good healthy community of the sort that I would like to see established, you wouldn't really, there wouldn't be any sharp boundary between those who were evangelizing and those being evangelized. There would just be this gradual change in level of commitment to the community and level of cooperation with the, the mission 
of the project. That it would be hard to tell um, who was who just happened to be there and who were members. In fact, that there should not be as such a distinct class of members because that's already starting to become somewhat more artificial. There's not so much an in-circle and an out-circle, or insiders and outsiders, but um, more of an, an inclusive mentality. Is that what you're, you're saying, Malcolm? Yes, that, that would probably sum it up pretty well. I think for me, I recognize or I believe in the importance of like a core group, um, people who are all in, uh, so to speak, um, around which that surrounding community can develop. It seems to me, unless you have a few people who are, who are really regularly and deeply committed, um, something like that apostolic band that followed Jesus, then attempts at community, I think, will continue to fall short. It seems that you need a nucleus um, out of which things can grow, and people can come and go. I mean, I, I don't think in a, in a healthy, genuine community that everybody needs to be 100% committed to whatever, however the life is that the community is living. I think there's a, a real place for people and that's the beauty of a of the parish and church is that um, some people are are more heavily invested, and some people don't have the time or the resources um, to do that. But they're benefiting from those people in the in the inner circle, and bringing bringing the fruits of their commitment, their investment, um, to a wider circle that perhaps that community is not reaching. So I think there's kind of like intersecting circles that can happen in a in a very healthy community, but at the same time that before you can start just I don't know um, expecting an organic development, I think there there does need to be a group of people who are on the same page and um, share a similar vision, share similar values. Um, are willing to share their lives on some level. I don't think that means we we all live and move on into the same house, but that um, I th there is an intentionality to cultivating um, an authentic community that's rooted in Christ for us as Christians. That's true. I think if we all just sat around and waited for something to happen, we're going to be disappointed. I know that's what I've felt for a long time. You know, I wish something would develop, but unless someone makes some sort of move that will catalyze uh, development of a community, it's just it's just not going to happen. It's not going to come together by itself. And so then we really do have two separate but related projects that we're talking about. So on one hand, the question is, what are some ways in which we could catalyze that first, um, that first core group? And then once that core group has been found, been assembled, how do they catalyze growth in the wider community around them and become a sort of hub or a soul of a wider reality? Well, I think evangelical churches offer um, something of a successful model in cultivating community in that they have their Sunday worship gatherings in which everyone's welcome, but during the week they really invite their members or their congregation to participate in small groups that meet weekly in people's homes. Usually there's a host family or a host couple, and they get together often and share meals, as well as reflect on scripture together. They share their lives. And, and meeting in a home with six to eight or 10 other people, it's a very intimate encounter. 
um, there's a great opportunity to share what's going on in, in one's life and to listen to the needs of others and to grow as like this little family. Um, so small groups, I think, small groups that meet in homes, going back to that early church model, provides a real valuable um, opportunity for us to, to kind of cultivate, cultivate um, community from the get-go. Along with, so, and there's elements of that small group that I think could be expanded upon, but praying together is something that I think really um, binds us together, you know, binds us together in um, the grace of God, something that's beyond and above ourselves, you know, because people can come together for board game nights or come together for football games to watch on TV. People can come together in their homes for a lot of different reasons, but unless um, it's it's kind of rooted in a spiritual reality and in values that transcend this world, I think, you know, it's a it's a very feeble type of gathering, type of community. So praying together, I think, really helps create a, a bond among those people who are coming together. And then I, I think along with that is also just healthy um, recreational time, you know, sharing a meal, going for going outdoors. I think getting getting outside together um, plays a huge role in actually um, helping people to get to know each other and spend time together. Ultimately, I think time is is the major factor in cultivating um, kind of a, a core group of disciples that will grow together as a community. But time well spent, time not spent as the world, um, as the world does, you know, time that's spent on things of eternity and, you know, in giving back to the world around us. I think it's something we've talked about before, but um, when we're when we're serving other people together and there's a purpose outside of our gathering, apart from our own kind of spiritual edification um, to serve the needs of the, the world around us or the people in our own neighborhoods, that I think can create an incredible sense of solidarity, not just amongst ourselves, but with the people who live close to us. That's true. Time is a very important factor. And one of the reasons that we lack community is because everyone is so short on it. You know, everyone has all these different obligations and preferences, all these things going on in their lives, which make even the meeting of a study group, say every two weeks, sometimes very difficult to assemble people. And on a longer time scale, you know, it, it will take probably years to build a real community spirit. And since the average American moves at least once every 10 years, the longer time scale is also difficult. I've been part of study groups and other small group projects, and the people turn over so fast due to moving and other factors that it's very hard to form that community in them. It can, it can be difficult to get something to stick. And then I think another aspect is spatial relationships, that ideally the people involved would come from a pretty close geographic area. Because once you get more than a few miles away from one another, getting together becomes more and more of a burden. So on groups I've seen where the people are all coming from even say all across the Denver metro, there's a real difference in, in how organic it can be as well. Because if, if the people involved are living within a block or so of one another, they can drop by. As soon as someone is, you know, 10 miles away, 20 miles away, people are not going to just drop by as easily when they have a little bit of time. Sh sharing life together demands both those the, the time aspect that you brought up and the spatial aspect, but they're both difficult to achieve in today's culture. Yeah, great point, Malcolm. 
the problem of continuity of relationship to people and to places because people's allegiance to their own interests and, and often economically to the companies they work with. Sometimes companies will ask people to move to another location. I think of the military, you know, the families in the military are often every couple of years being transplanted beyond um, any decision of their own. So our culture makes, at times, it makes it difficult, I think, to remain rooted in one place. Um, so there needs to be, I think, a value for that and a decision for that, a decision that I, I'm going to plant myself here. And if I lose my job, we'll make something work. I'll, I'll find another way to make ends meet. I'll find another job here. It may not be what I've been trained to do, but um, I'm committed to being here and I'm committed to the people around here. So I think some of this touches on the formation of disciples, uh, Christian disciples in particular. You know, we need we need formation as to uh, on certain values. And I think the value of community and what makes it possible um, and developing an interior life that makes community possible as well. I think that's an imp a very important point. If we're not really growing as disciples and um, cultivating a life of virtue, a life of prayer, um, a life of reflection and openness to others, service to others, we... I think we lack the capacity to enter into community and enter into the values that community not only embraces but somewhat requires in order to be to for people to enter into it. So um, this need for formation in the modern world is uh, deeply important. Formation in our in our spiritual lives, you know, I I think in a, in a seminary. They focus on four pillars of formation, human, intellectual, spiritual, and psychological. And then the, and then the fifth one is uh, formation in community life. So it, I think what you're, what you're saying, Malcolm, brings up this importance for me, is that unless people are taking their spiritual lives, their interior development seriously, um, and have values on the things that comprise community life, then it, it will be very difficult for, for people to be committed to openness and relationship with others. A point you touched on is that the community has to make it possible for people to stay put that since the community needs at least a certain level of continuity, the community also has to attempt at least to make it easier for people to stay and to emphasize the importance of, of staying in a, in a given area if one can. And one of the reasons that people don't sometimes is family calls, family obligations that may take them across the country Maybe they have to go and care for elderly parents. Maybe they need, need to move close to some relative for a certain reason. And that brings up a wider issue that oftentimes in community building attempts, the requirements and duties to one's family, whether one's married or single, can come into conflict with community building attempts. And there can be different detrimental situations, uh, the detrimental situation in which the involvement with one's nuclear family is so all-pervasive that there is no time for community building. But then I've also seen the opposite, where community building becomes so aggressive or almost, you might say, invasive in people's lives that their family obligations suffer. And it's, it's difficult to balance the two. One thing I've been thinking about as far as helping people to make the time to grow a community 
is that we have to replace something in their lives. We have to replace something they're already doing with an equivalent that will build community at the same time so that our project doesn't become just one more thing in an already overburdened life. A good example, of course, is just the parish as such. Every Catholic is going to be attending Mass at least once a week, and that could and should be a community-building um, opportunity. But even other things, so let's say that you everyone has to shop. If a community, for instance, developed a food co-op where they purchased foods in bulk together and distributed them, then the time spent shopping can be redirected to being a community building opportunity without providing another burden. So because, because lives are so full, especially for families with children, there are all these different things that they have to do. And at least some of these different things, if we can come up with alternatives within the community, pull as much of life into the boundaries of the forming communities we can, I think we'll be more successful than if it's one more burden. Yeah, um, it makes me think of Focus, the organization of uh, missionaries for college students across the country. And one of their priorities as missionaries is simply to spend time with those they are trying to disciple. And it doesn't really matter what they're doing, but the importance is spending time together. And I began to realize that missionaries were just inviting people into their everyday activities, um, things they had to do, like food shopping, or they wanted to they wanted to make a part of their life, like working out, um, whatever it might be that was a part of their daily life already, can become an opportunity for a community building or relationship building um, experience. You know, I, I think about that. There's certain things that I love to do and that I will do no matter what throughout my week. One of them is just going for walks. Um, I, you know, I, I love to go for walks and I find it it's valuable whether I go alone or with another. But it, I see it as an opportunity to invite somebody to join me for a walk. Um, and it brings an added element when I do. Then there's just the simple act of eating. You know, I don't know how many people now in America eat alone, but every meal becomes an opportunity to spend time with another and not just one person, maybe maybe a group. So things that we we are already doing for me, it's also prayer. Um, morning, evening, night prayer. These are a part of my daily routine. And while right now I don't have an opportunity to invite others to join me in the past, I have and it's a great opportunity to, even though we're not, you know, directly talking to each other, it's like, it's almost more valuable. We're directly, we're, we're directing our words and our hearts to God together. So I think of um, community beginning in those ways, Malcolm, as simple ways in which we can, we can share our lives with another and not like you said, just add another thing to our life, but rather enrich our life with, a deeper quality, um, which comes through relationships with other people joining our life and, um, and, and we joining in the lives and the things of others, things that they love, things that they enjoy. So there's a sacrifice on some level, I think, to make these things happen. Your mention of walking together reminds me of something I did last summer where I decided to set up a walking pilgrimage to the local cathedral. It was about seven miles, and there were four or five other churches along the way, all along, pretty much along one urban street. And for most of that street's length, it was a pretty uh, nice street to walk on, a fairly good environment. So I got 
about 15 people together, and we set out one morning, stopped at one of the parishes for Mass, and ended up at the cathedral. Now that, of course, would be a more intentional thing that would be, you know, could fall under the category of one more thing. But a lot of people include a certain amount of planned exercise into their lives, especially on weekends. And if this is billed as a way to do that while growing in community, that can be a sort of replacement. And another thing that I've recently been involved a little bit in is that the local Knights of Columbus were working to help elderly people by raking up leaves for them. So something that had to be done and that many people would have hired somebody to do if they could afford it. But instead, some people got together, went over to their houses and raked up the leaves and did other work. And this idea of including people in the community touch, touches on, on kind of a, a difficult concept, that the church, in what she does, is supposed to have a preferential option for the poor. But the people who are interested in these sort of community-building attempts will mostly, at least in my experience, be middle class and somewhat intellectual, have these sorts of interests in community building, radical living, whereas we need to, we need to bring the poor in, but it can't just be us ministering to the poor. I mean, it's, it's important to minister to the poor, but if it is we, the, you know, suburban Catholics who go and help the poor and then go back to our suburban lives, whether they include a community aspect or not, that's not enough. The poor have to somehow be part of the community, but that can be difficult in, in bringing them in in such a way that they would not feel patronized or out of place. Um, I, I'm currently looking for a location for a community garden that I want to build community through, and I can either put it in a poorer neighborhood or in a more, you know, upscale neighborhood as I'm looking for potential locations. And if I don't put it in a poorer neighborhood, poorer people are not going to come into more upscale neighborhoods to participate in the project. They're less mobile and would, would be less likely to do that than uh, richer people who might come anyway, even if it wasn't right in their neighborhood. Yeah, so it brings up the point, Malcolm, of um, the, the importance of place and where we live in order to um, grow community, especially if we want to be a people that are mindful of the poor, but also in solidarity with those who are um, less well off as we are, as we are called to be, you know, um, men and women, not only for others, but with others. And the difficulty of doing that from American, the, the suburban America, kind of uh, segregated in a way from the poverty and the messiness of low-income areas in our country, especially in, in our cities. Um, so it, it makes me think, you know, I've, I've, I've lived in Philadelphia in different neighborhoods, and the most recent one I was living in was by far the poorest neighbor, neighborhood I had lived in, um, in the city. And, but I, what I found there was in proximity with others, a lot of boundaries break down, you know, in daily contact. One of the things about poverty is that people don't, in not having a lot of things or a big house or lots of cars, people are more apt to go outside and be outside and play. You see the, the children on the streets, you know, riding their bikes. Yeah, they might be getting into trouble, but they're, they're around in the neighborhood. And in suburban neighborhoods, I think of my parents' neighborhood, which is where I was raised. 
And now, I mean, as a, as a child, I was always out playing sports with people on the streets. Um, but, but now it's, it's rare to actually see children outside. Even though the neighborhood's full of families, people are not outside. And so you don't get to know them that much. And so something like a community garden that um, allows suburbanites to grow food, even that, I don't know how well it would cultivate community versus um, a city neighborhood where people are already coming together, but it gives people a, a, per a greater purpose, um, a way to connect, something to be invested in. And it gives us an opportunity to, to work hand in hand with people from different backgrounds, um, socioeconomic classes, and to, to share the gospel with those people in need. Um, and those people who, who perhaps have a, a greater receptivity to it. Yes, we don't want the project to become sort of a Christian white flight uh, project, you know, get away from, from things and build our ideal suburban life because the suburban life is already too isolated. And, and that, there's this aspect that I wanted to touch upon of how our project relates to the phenomena of prepping. Uh, in some ways, preppers are also trying to build a different community, in a sense. They're worried about the way the world's going, so they want to find a secure location, usually rural, and stock up, build skills, usually find at least a few other people to share their hideout with them so that when everything falls apart, they'll be okay. And the reason I bring this up is because, in one sense, the prepper is the material equivalent of the spiritual tendency we talked about in the last podcast, where people build a community out of spiritual fear of the outside world. The prepper is just doing it out of a material fear of the outside world. And in one sense, the, the prepper is just the suburbanite taken to its logical conclusion. Try to become as remote as possible from other people and all their problems. Have as detached of a life as you can and save up as much stuff as you can to protect yourself. With the prepper, it tends to be seeds and guns and storable food, but the suburban dream includes saving up for retirement, stocking up a lot of material wealth that supposedly will enable one to have an individually good life even if everybody else is in trouble. And therefore the suburbanite or prepper are in one sense the opposite of what we're trying to do. And yet at the same time our community building attempts probably will provide a lot more spiritual and material security than the suburbanite or prepper with their individual preparations. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Malcolm, that community provides security because people provide security. People look out for each other. People are there for each other when something goes wrong. Um, people provide psychological support that our isolation in sub suburban areas or rural areas would not. There are various intentional communities that I've met who, tell, who have told me that we don't have a healthcare plan here. We are the healthcare plan. We have, we have people who have studied and are somewhat knowledgeable in the medical practice. Um, but, but we generally just take care of each other. So when somebody gets sick, there's no going to a hospital. There is us caring for them in their sickness, in their weakness, and hopefully nursing them back to life. Um, I, th I think you could take that theme of healthcare and, and apply it to community and, and also explore other various themes like food security, 
you know, if multiple people are working together to provide food, you know, we don't have to be stocking up so much our, our own storehouses for ourselves for years in advance. But I think community does invite a sense of moving forward in faith um, and trusting. You know, there, there has to be an element of trust in, in abandoning one's personal securities that come with a more segregated and isolated life. And that's where I think the gospel really comes into play. Jesus invited his apostles to leave behind their livelihoods and their business practice and their immediate circles, even their families. And they not and not sure, you know, how they would survive from one day to the next. But they had each other. And I'm sure, of course, just following the Lord was consolation consolation in itself. But for us, I think there has to has to be this sense of like we're not going to know how things are going to turn out we have to be invited into this this walking in faith in which we're letting go and 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 leaving behind some of the things that prevent us from entering into a deeper relationship with each other i i would agree and the the only danger, as you touched upon, is that if people are initially presented this call to leave everything and follow Christ, it can end up becoming instead leave everything and follow me or us, we we the community. That whereas Christ was able to go and just call people, but it was probably much faster than anything we could replicate. That. Over time, ideally, one would become more and more likely to lay one's life down for the friends. And that laying down of life, when Christ spoke of it, is usually taken to mean actual death. But in a community, in one sense, in a true community, one is constantly laying down one's personal life for the life of the community. And if that happens organically, gradually, as the community develops, that's a beautiful thing. But if, if a community tries to take a raw group of people and get them into the sort of emotional state where they make that commitment in a formalized way, then it can become very ugly. It can become very manipulative. So that, in one sense, one would probably if it, if it happened correctly, one would just wake up one day after many years and realize that this community meant everything to one. That one's own identity had become part of the community identity, but there would be no point along the route in which one could, could see that there had been this transition point from one to the other, where one from one finding one's security and purpose in one's individual pursuits to finding one's security and purpose in the practice of a certain kind of community. A friend of mine told me that we are such an individualist culture that our attempts at community building can sometimes be fraught because even when we are trying to get rid of our individualism, the our individual assumptions can get in the way and hamper them, that we can think that we can now make an individual choice to belong to this community. And there, now that's done. Now mm -hmm. I belong to this community. I have made a decision. But that's still a very individual way of looking at it, that the focus is still on something I'm doing now. Whereas if a community grew organically, it would be more be something that happened to one over time. So the question is, how do we develop organic community? As, as we do talk about this, I'm realizing more and more the importance of our relationship with Jesus to be at the center of any authentic community building uh, project, so to speak. Because 
without Christ, I think we're easily shaken and we're easily reduced to um, our own our own desires, our own wants, our own preferences, or hampered by fears and concerns and insecurities that life and community will bring up. You know, I know it takes time to grow relationships, um, but it also takes a capacity, a spiritual capacity to enter into the life of another, that we're, we're growing our spiritual lives in a way that makes other people necessary, other people um, valued in our lives. So it's not just about me. We become, I think in American culture, life can be all about me, all about, you know, what I want and when I want it, how I want it, um, what I want to buy today, you know, and community, like, I think invites a radical change in perspective, or at least like, how can I um, orient my life within this framework that has maybe some kind of restrictions, but also um, provides and invites a lot of uh, growth as a person, a lot, it brings a lot of joy. Sometimes I, I think people are missing out on the joy of belonging to something beyond themselves, you know, by focusing on the pleasures of their individual preferences. I think we end up living very hollow lives, hollow and empty. Um, and that's why we, we constantly need to be purchasing from Amazon, you know, Amazon Prime, two-day delivery, you know, like what's next? But community, I think, I guess, I don't know, it invites, invites a, a life that's no longer just about me. Um, and, and it can't just, like, I think you're saying that it, it, we can't just be focused on a particular group, but it, we have to be open to a wider community and open to people beyond our immediate um, circle, uh, people that we can immediately relate to. And I think that's what is also difficult in America is that life has become increasingly segregated um, especially through te technological means, we can we can continually choose the people we want to spend time with, be around the people who share our worldview. Whereas your your traditional neighborhoods and small towns, they put you in contact with people from different places and different walks of life. So a number of challenges are raised, I guess about about this project, but good ones, good ones to wrestle with, you know, good ones to be contemplating. Uh, a word that comes to mind is that famous line from Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. And that might unfortunately be the case for a lot of people is that their lives are unexamined. They're living unreflectively, unconsciously going through the motions, not even aware of the various forces that are acting upon their lives, upon their souls. That's why advertising is so incredibly successful. People are, are being manipulated in ways that they don't even understand. And so I think maybe this is one of the great fruits of this podcast will be that it's simply inviting all of us to reflect patterns of life in our culture and in ourselves obviously they, they are deeply intertwined and how we can begin to break out of these patterns and take baby steps as opposed to Malcolm, I think you're bringing this point up instead of trying to like think so large that it's so beyond us, you know, or so ideally that the gulf is so wide, we'll never get there, but rather how can we start changing patterns in our life to begin to cultivate the roots of a genuine community? On the topic of an unexamined life, I touched a little earlier on security. And to the American, security is very important, but only seen in an individual sense. The stop, saving up for retirement, the 
planning for one's future that one doesn't really know if one is going to have. And it's very opposed to the message of the gospel. There's the rich fool in the gospel who saves up his goods for many years, says, now we can eat, drink, and be merry. We have much saved up. And God says, you fool, this night your soul is required. And yet that simple, plain gospel message of the undesirability of saving up lots of wealth in our culture becomes almost incomprehensible, even for devotees say, well, what would happen to me if I didn't save up for retirement? What would happen if I didn't have all these investments? And I think, you know, they bring up a good point. They might end up on the street in a box. And that's because there are two very different kinds of security that can be achieved. One individualist type that seems to be pretty thoroughly condemned in the gospel, and one that can be seen in Acts, where it says that no one was hungry or needy among them because they shared their goods. And so once it becomes examined, the conflict between living humanly on earth and the call of the gospel becomes less difficult to reconcile. But it takes that examination. It takes waking up and realizing that the ways of life, the modes of existence in our culture are so radically opposed to the gospel. And that might be a, a good transition to our next podcast on poverty. This idea that material security, an attempt to provide security for oneself through material goods is actually opposed to the gospel, opposed to the Christian life. Well, I look forward, Malcolm, to continuing the conversation. I do think that um, poverty is a very important um, theme to discuss, to have a conversation on for the church and for anyone who seeks um, authentic community. Wealth, in a lot of ways, can be an impediment to living a, a truly free life and a life of faith. Yes, thanks so much for coming and joining the conversation again. I look forward to our next podcast together. And if any of the listeners have ideas for ways to catalyze the growth of community in an organic yet intentional way, we're always interested to receive comments. Please let us know. And thanks again, Peter. <laughs>